ATV Talk, the podcast. Sit down with your host industry professional, Leonard Duncan, as men and women from the ATV world bring their behind-the-scenes stories to life. Every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. And remember, dream big. It could be your story one day. GBC Power Sports Tires, a division of Green Ball Corp, has been producing industry-leading tires for ATV side-by-side market for over 25 years with tires like Mongrel, Dirt Devil, TerraMaster, XC Master, Dirt Commander, and Groundbuster. They have a tire for your application. Top racers from GNCC, Works, and Best in the Desert rely on GBC Power Sports Tires. So why shouldn't you? Go check them out at gbctires.com to see the full line of tires they offer. Thank you very much. We're back with Ricky Johnson and Danny Duncan. Uh, Lauren had to step out. So we're gonna go into part two of our conversation. Uh, the first time we were just getting reacclimated with one another's talking about the different careers and the things that we've done. Um, I want to take a dive, deep dive into factory life. Okay. What it's like to actually be one of the guys in the semi or under the tent for the factories. Well, so for me, it was a, a, a gradual. You know, I, I always had goals. It always goes back to where I get on my bicycle and ride down to Challenger Motorsports and look at all the stuff on Broadway. And then there was the there was the other parts store across the street from Valley Hall. I kept some I forget what that cycle parts were. Anyhow, <clears throat> thinking, wow, if I could get free stickers, then get free product. And if I could be in a race, then if I could win a race, and if I could get a picture of the cycle news, then can I get on the cover of cycle news? And so was, you know, a lot of this stuff kind of happens to you. Um, and if you focus on just trying to be fast and win, it, it happens simultaneously. It just happens. Because you're not trying to be famous. You're not trying to, you just want to win. And if, when you win, good shit happens. So in doing that, being able to test for Yamaha and then ride for Yamaha and see how that worked. And then when I went, I, I would say my real first factor was when I went to Honda. Because their level of commitment was just so high. I mean, so, so high. As I said, the first time I showed up, we rolled our bikes out, my brand new bike with all the bitch and parts on it, and then here's three cylinders, here's four pipes, here's triple clamps, here's linkages, here's you know, all the stuff that was legal to change. We had multiple things. And, <clears throat> and you had a suspension specialist, you had a motor specialist, then you had Roger DeCoster, who was the man, you know, one of the greatest racers of all time. Then Dave Ronald, who I think is, was the best team manager as well. So... Then you had your own mechanic, and so you have all these things so you want for nothing. Anything you want is there. I would come in, I'd go ride the bike, I'd come in, I would digest with Roger and Dave, and my mechanic, go over what, what needs to be done, and he would start working on the thing, changing filters, tires, whatever, nothing bolt and make everything ready to go. <clears throat> then I would talk to the suspension guy. Oh, I'm feeling this, I'm feeling that. Can we make this change instead of Roger would come in and say, Well, I'm watching you have a little bit of trouble there, it's kicking there, whatever, you know, give his input. Same with Dave Arnold. And then I would say, Okay, let's make a change. You know. Didn't want didn't want it quite go as bad as John Myers and change everything to to a standstill. But you're always looking for that tenth of a second. And when you have 
you're right for the fact she like I was at Honda at the time. There, whatever you, whatever you needed, they came. Did they get into training and health uh, and those portions of it as well as just the machine, or did they did they help you evolve as an athlete? So when we would go to Japan and they 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 have us do these weird tests and hold our breath and touch our nose and balance and do all this kind of stuff, trying to find is there a magic potion to find a champion? And really, that's not. It's it's not how tall they are. It's not how short they are. It's not how fat they are. It's not, you know, it's the heart. It's the soul of the of, of the creature that, that really makes it a true champion. But for them, they before I was there, they had Jeff Spencer who was the team trainer. They did everything. He was a cyclist, massage therapist, chiropractor. Did everything, you know, taping and all of this stuff. But when I got there, it was like, you know what, you you take care of your own training. You know, we, we pay you enough money to pay a trainer, to have bicycles, to have all the stuff that you need. <clears throat> that was my responsibility, not theirs. And so they didn't assist with any of that as far as hooking you up with people that could help you? Or anything if, like I, if I asked, yes. But more, more than anything, it was just, you go, do, you're a professional athlete, go take care of your shit. You know, and so that was expected. My mechanic, my mechanic was a good, a good bicyclist, so he, we would go cycle all the time. So he would train with me. When we were on the road and stuff like that, or he would, you know, always with me and lap times and you know, telling me where I was making mistakes, where I was going inside, outside, watching what the other riders are doing. But as far as they didn't, um, they didn't babysit. They didn't babysit you. They, you were an adult and take care of yourself. That's that's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, sometimes you take these young men that really almost have no guidance and turn them loose with all this money. And well, yeah, and that's the thing. There's a lot of them need to be managed. And I, I could have, I, if I went back and changed it, I would have I would have spent more money having somebody manage me. Tell me when to say no, where to go, where to do this, where to do that. I was very fortunate that I had Dave Stevenson, who also worked for Brock, Machine, and also where I started working on JT as an accountant. He made it so I didn't worry about money. I didn't, I didn't give a shit about money. He took care of all that. I, I would, he would, he would be at my house every Monday. I'd give him my, my money that, that I got from with my checks or whatever from the AMA. And he would deposit them and he would fill out my expense reports and uh, I'd give him my receipts. And then he would also put in my bonuses that I won for <clears throat> bell helmets, Alpine Star boots, uh, Fox clothing, open goggles, and Honda. So I, I set my stuff up to have a strong bonus program because I just, that kid felt like he could win. I thought, I'm, I'm like, I'm going to win. I mean, yeah, winning makes that bonus program exactly. work. And, 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 it be, and when I had that, it would piss me off when I would lose. I'm like, oh, you know, because they say only well, cheaper than one motorcycle racer is two motorcycle racers, <laughs> you know. And so it, it, was, it was an added motivation for me. You know, it wasn't just the the fame and I didn't really care about that. You know, you want you want to be loved and you think you're loved because everyone's around you with you're there because you're winning. Right. You know? And so but when I realized that I was losing money on top of it, that would piss me off a little bit more and motivate me a little bit more to come back harder the second place. That's that's super interesting that, that you had somebody that would help you. I wanna ask you. Dad, 
based on the fact that you helped start the career unknowingly of probably one of the arguably greatest motocross racers of all time, how does that make you feel knowing that you were there in the beginning? Well, it makes you proud. Uh, you know me well enough to know that I didn't feel I took any credit for that because of the fact that you gave him my, he had the tools and he had the will to do the job. And uh, I never thought of, of uh, my particular part in the, the foundation. You didn't feel that the foundations helped get him where he is or didn't have anything to do with it? No, it, it, it might have had something to do with it, but it's hard to take credit for somebody else's effort. Right. You had effort in it. No, but man, that's, it's a loaded question. Yes. With, but I guess, I guess to, to reward it, how does it feel that, that you were a cog in the wheel that made me who I am? You know what I mean? You like that? Yeah. Well, that, that makes me feel good. And, and probably privately, I'm snickering that uh, I don't think somebody else's bike would have got out a whole shot like like that one. But Absolutely. That's what we're talking about. Is and, and you were. You were always the man in the shadows. You know what I mean? You were, you were, you had guys in four different classes. You had girls, guys, young boys, old boys. So... You would like look over how <laughs> oh, they're doing. Okay, now you're working on that. The next one would come in and all the different stuff. But that's where I want to say thank you for giving me bikes that I could kick people's ass with. You know, it, it, it's an age. Also thinking, what if you got a, a competitor that it wasn't didn't give you competitive machinery? You know, would you have got discouraged, or would you change tuners, or would you not have evolved? Knowing your, dad, knowing your dad, you'd have changed tuners. Absolutely, my dad. You know, my dad was a son of a bitch in a lot of ways, but his love for me and dedication for me—you could not question. No, he would fight anybody that, that threatened me. He would, he would work his ass off to give me the tools that I needed to go fast, and and uh, and that and. He kicked me in the ass when I needed it, and he picked me up and dusted me off when I needed it, you know? But you're absolutely right. If, if we weren't getting what we needed from Danny's machine works, he would have went somewhere else, yeah. you know? But we, we were. So there was never, like, my dad didn't get along with a lot of people, but he, he never he never had one sideways word to say about you. <laughs> Which is that say a lot. The closest we ever came to anything was when when he got pissed off at my dog for fighting. Exactly. That's his fault. <laughs> which, which, at the time, I thought, if you're dumb enough to keep, the, he's growling at you and you keep ruffling up his ears, yeah. it, you know, it's your your fault. You know? <laughs> yeah. But that's the closest to uh, even a disagreement that we ever had. Yeah. He never questioned your ability. Like, it wasn't like, wasn't ever a well wonder that he he was in he was in a hundred percent with you. Yeah. Did did he have, did you ever uh, tell you how he found Danny? No. 
I, I just think we need because that 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 SL seventy that your dad built yep. was like a showpiece in the, in the showroom, and we want an XR from there. And I think he said who who does this and that, and they pointed him out, and we walked like I said, we walked through the parts counter and into the back, and yeah, and right. I mean that's you know I I probably didn't say a word. I just walked around looking at him. I can wipe photos. I don't remember the start. In fact, I'm foggy on a lot of things. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I had to head a lot. No, but that, that's how it started. And then, you know, because we couldn't afford to have a modified bike for a long time. So I so I, I broke the bike or did something. And we put a plastic gas tank on it because it was cheaper than replacing it. And so they said, you have to run a modified class. So that's when we bought a hooker header. And so all I had was a hooker header and a plastic tank. And then that's when I <coughs> then, um, then slingshotted me up to that. And then I remember that we got another XR. And then you, that's, that's uh, that bike that where you did the, the, the silver XR80 that, that you did with the, with the round. Made, made it look like Husqvarna with the bare metal patches on the side of the tanks before the orange ones. Yeah. And that was... Uh, to be honest, I don't, yeah, I don't remember that. I was, I was real clear-headed back then. <laughs> uh, Ricky, go ahead, Ed. Uh, would you say that you had one of those Cinderella-style racing starts where you were just in the right place at the right time, meeting the right people as you progressed? Um, yes, and the biggest blessing was living in East County. Yeah. I mean, we had so many, like, Lakeside Sandpits, Santee Sandpits, tracks up in Crest, tracks over by our house, tracks over by Walker's house, tracks down in down, uh, Spring, Spring Valley, you know, where, where Scott Myers lived, all those hills. It, I mean, there was, after on any Sunday hit, I mean, there was motorcycle tracks everywhere. And then also there was the big housing crash in the 70s. So there was a really blessing because then they built all those neighborhoods and they never got finished. Now we had jumps. So so the the beginning of Supercross and that. um, And yeah, and I was surrounded by, by, like I said, by by good people. I had had parents that were dedicated 100% to what I was doing. And we had your dad that I could, could make me the fastest XRs out there to race against anybody. You know, and that, that you didn't just stop on my XRs, you worked on my YZs and stuff like that when I started the Yamaha too. Um, so having somebody that you know is is a, is, a, is the pro at it makes it easy if you're smart. If you're smart, you shut up, you get out of the way and let the man do his job. Right. You know, don't tell him what to do. Say this is what we're thinking, this is our budget. Well they, <laughs> they working on the Yamaha's worked well until you stepped up, and then they, uh, the powers to be uh, decided that uh, there was too much information for an independent. Yeah. They, they took charge of who you who you went to. Yeah. Which I was best at the time, but I thought it makes sense. Why would you want to, you know, give all that information to somebody you don't even know? Yeah. Uh, especially if it's hungry and, and uh, does that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah, when, you, when you're dealing with a factory, like there was little things, like I got a carburetor from Brock, <clears throat> and you just put it on, 
he felt. I mean, it was just, it was better. You know what I mean? As, as you were saying, back then, and that bike's performance stepped up a lot when we got to the YZs, but like XRs and everything, everything was so conservative, you know. Yeah, you could do lots of things and it made a difference. Right. After a while, it's hard to do things cheaply and make a difference yeah. because everything is so damn good already. Right now, the bikes, when they come off the show floor, like I, like I see these amateurs that change stuff. I'm like, adjust, adjust your bars and go ride. Right. Like, oh, I need to do this suspension and I need, like, you're slower than me. Right? And I'm slow now. <laughs> so if it's good enough for me, it's good enough for you. So just go right. You know, and I would get these parents, like I said, oh, we got to do all this crazy stuff. I'm like, no, you don't. I would say, so Ricky Carmichael was the star of the time. I said, so I got Ricky Carmichael right now, and I put him on a bone stock 80. An 80. He's their 250 and 450 racer right now. I put him on bone stock 80. How, how do you think your kid would do this? We're going to kick his ass. On a bone stock, he goes, yeah. I'm like, so it's more on the bike. You just not give it to him. The bike that my dad kind of had that fuss back down. I need more power. He goes, are you letting off? My dad has some pretty fucked up philosophies. Oh, <laughs> when, I, when I was first starting, they said, you want to go faster? Leave it on longer? Turn it on sooner. That's exactly. So he goes, are you letting off the turn? I'm like, yeah. I'm, I'm nine. You know, <laughs> I'm a nine-year-old kid. I'm like, dad, I you know, like on the start, I was taking off. I'm like, I need more power. He's like, Are you let off on the turn? I'm like, well, yeah, I have to let off the turn. I got to turn. He's like, Well, there you go. There you go. You're wasting all that power. <laughs> You're wasting time and energy, buddy. And you know, same thing. Like one of his philosophers on town. Oh, like, yeah, like go down the hill. Man. He wants to kick me over the bars. He's like, Well, you're not on the gas. I'm like, well, I can't get on the gas. I'm going downhill. I got to stop at the bottom. He's like, And so I said, But no, they don't understand. It kicks in them. I'm going downhill, so it's making it close to being going in that neutral spot. He's like, go faster. I'm like, you're not kidding. He's like, no, you're not kidding. Go faster, <laughs> keep the gas on, it'll keep the wheel back and going. So, like, three times in my career, I, I did stuff just, I was going to crash. I was going to throw myself on the ground just to say, don't ever tell me to do that again. And all three times it worked. <laughs> all three times. I'm like, son of a bitch. <laughs> you can't ride a motorcycle, but he can sure tell me how oh, he can, he can, Boy, trust me, he can tell you how to do all shit. But, uh, <laughs> well, a lot of stuff you you figure out by having lapses in uh, mental capacity. You leave it on longer or, or you shift. Uh, mine was always the, at the TTs, the switchback. If you shifted, you got there so goddamn quick. Yeah. And and so you try to gear for that point so that you could grab a handful and get to the corner and make the corner. Uh, I watched, uh, I can't think of his name now. Eddie Mulder. Anyway, Eddie Mulder. Eddie Mulder <laughs> would throw himself into that corner and he'd be changing gears and everything and he's sliding back. And by the time he gets into the line, he turns the power on and he's gone. Well, so that was funny is that my dad referenced Eddie Mulder. He liked Skip Van Loon, but he said Skip Van Loon was like a slick dick, always had white leathers. And he goes, he was good, but he wasn't as good as Eddie Mulder. You know, and so he would tell me, he's like, Mulder would come down to Pome Speedway where you were showing me that. And he said he, he'd have his feet on the peg the whole time. I'm like, 
all the time? And he's like, oh yeah, you slide into the corner. And, and I'm like, you gotta set up and then you can slide on the exit, you know? So once again, nine and 10 years old, I'm like, yeah. trying to do the, I'm going, how? So I would try to slide in with my feet on legs and bust my ass all the time. Didn't Mulder ride a race that when we were flat tracking? Oh, and it yeah. still, still yeah. rode really well. Oh, he but, rides well. But the race of the season was uh, Mulder and Malcolm Smith. Malcolm Smith's on this single match list that goes chug, 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 and Mulder's on this screaming triumph. Right. They're right together. Yeah. You know, and you can almost count the RPMs of the, the <laughs> match list. And, and, but both of them sit on the seat most of the time. Yeah. You know, and, and just rode the shit out of the thing. Well, so Eddie and I were going to be a teammates out of Bob for, for the swap back. But yeah, he's, and he's getting to raise Pike's Peak um, where he had his Woods chassis. No, was not Woods. Uh, was the flat track chassis. Um, the champion, 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 champion frame with the, with the triumph in it and stuff like that. <clears throat> so he would jump the start, they would give you a 10 second penalty. But he goes, If I jump the start, he said, I'm guaranteed I'm going to make 10 seconds on it and deal with these guys. So they go, Ready, go. Poof, he'd take off. <laughs> he would take off and he would already have about 15 seconds on everybody by the time they got going. So he just goes, I'll just take the penalty. And, but he still threw everyone's ass. But so that, my dad would tell me, you got to feed all the pegs all the time. So I'm putting cones up at our little house when we had to do a little track on the house. I'm coming, I'm sliding, <laughs> fall down. I'm like, it doesn't work, you know? So it wasn't until Bruce Brown, I did it on a Sunday, made all these ASCOT movies and stuff. I'm seeing Mulder come in, set it up, and he comes to the corner, picks his feet up. I'm like, that son of a bitch. I'm like, tell me what I call my dad. I'm like, you liar. He was in, I go, it's exactly like I said. He sets it up. Then brings it back up and then comes to the corner. So you can't come in. But, but I've I mean, seen him. He is so smooth the way yeah. he, he rolled. I mean, it just, you know, I'd wobble through the corners and, and just, I'd watch him and, it, you know, no chance of, uh, of doing that good. You know, figure it out. That's awesome. That, was, that flat track stuff is awesome. Yeah, I was on. Um, we have an XR600 that's converted into a flat track as well. Okay. And we were actually testing it to find out because we had the, the newer model machine versus the old TT500s. Um, and we were out at um, Competition Park that was out there in Victorville. Uh, uh, yeah, no, yeah. It, was, it was just south oh, of Victorville. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. okay. And, and they had a big motocross track, a small track, uh, the, the, the oval, and I mean, they just had a bunch of stuff out there. And we'd go up for the practice day on the oval, and there's some young guy in a Honda deal on an XR650 with noddies, and I'm freaking on the flat track bike, throwing it in, riding it as hard as I can. This guy's standing up, drifting it through the turn, never put his feet down. And him and I are going back and forth to one another. Um, I never figured out who it was, but that oh, was so like Ricky Graham. <laughs> the guy was just phenomenal. It makes you feel better. It makes you feel better if you're. But it's on an off road bike. Yeah, you're riding against a Grand National Champion. Like, oh, I feel so bad. Well, well yeah, I, I was practicing in a in a field up in LA one. Uh, I lived up there for a while, and uh, this guy 
would come up beside you every once in a while and ride, and he had a, a more like a dress jacket on, and he just making fools out of everybody, and it turned out it was uh, John Rice. Okay. And it's so smooth and so fast, yeah. and everybody else is uh, laboring to keep up. He's got a sport coat on. Oh, well, <laughs> It's like he would went to a picnic and decided to ride his bike around. You know? Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, not to get off this portion of the conversation, how did you meet Brock? So, as a once I was a speedway one seventeen, aka South Bay Speedway, <laughs> before it was hundred one seventeen, um, and Brock was racing on the Kawasaki Green Street, and so this goes back to the the Orange Wrecking Crew. My dad was. Very, very competitive. A ton of confidence in, in Danny. And like do a challenge out to our guys from down south to whip your ass. You know, because Ron Turner was fast down here, Murray Hoffman, and Brock was young. Brock was, I think, 14 years old racing at Kawasaki Green Street. Um, then he got from KR, ironically, owned by Jimmy Johnson's grandfather and mother. Okay. Um, down on, down on, uh, by Uncle Moore. Anyhow, so. My dad, you know, drinking a little bit and chipping about how we're going to whip your ass and stuff, took my sister's 100 and said, I'm going to make it a mini 100 and built it for Brock. He says, you're going to go beat Brad and Toy's ass and all these guys. That's Brock's like, I didn't ask for this fight, you know? And so um, his dad's name was Dick. So we joked about that sidebar. Dick Machine, Dick Johnson, and Dick Lover. We joked that our dads are a bunch of dicks. Um, <laughs> and... Uh, so my dad's like, hey, I'm going to build a, a bike for your kid. You go with that. So then that struck up the friendship. Brock was in junior high with my sister at Emerald, Emerald Junior High. And then he moved out uh, with his mom, which was on Alveda, out towards the end of Washington. Uh, you know, yep. home, and then him and my sister were in the same grade in high school. And <clears throat> we would ride together. And then he got his job all right. And I kind of took Tagged along. I was with him when he won the first championship down in San Antonio. We got there, stayed with him. Talk about cheap. So Brock only could have one person in his room on his expense report. So I had to sleep on the ground. So we had to hide my 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 towels and my pillow under that. And that son of a bitch would make me climb up the outside. <laughs> I climb climb up the bricks to to come in, and but I was there. You know, the infamous let Brock by, which I think was bullshit because Brock destroyed everybody in the first moto. The second moto, Hannah got a whole shot. And Brock was catching him, but then they, they put up let Brock by and stuff like that. So Brock, I owe so much, as you're saying, the blessing of the people in my life that I had a neighbor, a friend, who had he had the the, the recipe for success. He trained hard, he didn't party. You know, to me, he, he did everything right. He had cool cars. He had dating good-looking women. He was a good-looking guy. He was fast. He, like I said, he would train his ass off. And so I just go, oh, I do what he does. And then I, and I have to try to one-up him, you know? And, and that, was, that was what I did. And it wasn't because I didn't respect him, but he was somebody that I needed to be better than, you know? Uh, all the teaching and all the friendship, when the student started beating the teacher, how did that happen? Not good. 
So, <laughs> well, we, <laughs> I didn't expect that answer. Um, it, it was it was uncomfortable. So the first time I, I legitimately, um, like I beat him in the nationals, but I never wasn't even close to the supercross because I just didn't understand it. And so the end of '82, I remember '22, we did the Japan Supercross. Brock gets the whole shot, and I catch him, I dog him, I pass him, and I fly away. So it was the first time that this little kid that he, you know, was walking me around, showing me everything, whooped his ass. And so I get on the podium, and I'm like, wanting to hug Brock. I'm like, come on. And he's like, just stir, man. We didn't, he didn't celebrate with me. He just went to the hotel, got on the flight the next day, and it was, it was, it was uncomfortable, you know. But I understand that. I had to go through it. I helped stand, and he ended up beating me. Help me graph it. He ended up beating me and destroying my records or something like that. But that's and then Jimmy Johnson. I got Jimmy the right Chevrolet and literally said, He's our he's our new guy. He's young and this and that. And he went on and went far beyond anything that I've ever done in most sports. But if you sit there and go with a negative attitude and bitch about it, it's like it's like you, you got it. You you checked his ass when the fact you didn't want him doing my shit anymore. But he also understood. That that was the role that I played, you know. He helped he helped me get to this level. Not that he couldn't go to the next level with me, but hours at B, you, you, you change. And you're not going to fight City Hall, so to speak. Yeah, uh, you know, and I understood that. Yeah, we've lost yeah, we've lost quite a we've lost good riders or good deals with two other factory setups, you know, uh, and. Not to get off track, one of the problems that I had with the ATV factory involvement was they never came to the people that carried the industry and used their knowledge of the ATV world to grow the ATV. They came in with their own people, with their own ideas, and we would have great platforms. But all they did with some of the things they did for the industry was hurt us. Because when they walked away, we got a bag, it's empty. Right. And they took all the money. Right. <laughs> you know, we're like, hey guys, thanks. Yeah. Now, and that's, you know, for you guys to evolve and do what you did because I mean, those things went from everybody had them to the damn near nobody had them. And more people have them than you think. I mean, th- this is something that uh, uh, if we break it down and evaluate it realistically, there are still more people with ATVs than you ever think, sport quads. Unfortunately, Yamaha's got the two best sport quads. Nobody else makes one. Right now in the industry, the sales are high. The motivation for people wanting sport quads is up. And that's why you're reconditioning your Hondas. That's why you're reconditioning your Banshees, your OT500s. And, and these people are spending all these all this money to make these machines new again. And then when they realize... I just spent all that money fixing my LT500. Oh, but I'm only going to be able to ride it occasionally because it's fragile. And then they go out and buy a Yamaha or a side-by-side so that they can spend time in it and have their cool ATV for occasionally. And that's, I think a lot of the business went from quads to side-by-sides because of the cage. People think... You know, my philosophy is with age comes a cage. <laughs> it's just not as exposed. 
right. and you're not as physical, and but you can still it's zip easy, up hills. It's easier to sell it to your wife. Exactly. We can go ride together. My wife's not getting in there. Yeah. Uh, sidebar, uh, Randy at GPR Stabilizers, one of our sponsors for the podcast, and, and he's become a really good friend of mine. And um, he raced motorcycles down at District 38. Oh, no, I, got, I got a great rating on this. Story. Oh, great. Okay. Uh, You're done. I'll let you know. So, Randy buys the first version Yamaha. He wants all this stuff. He doesn't give me an option. He just brings it and drops it off and says, Build my car. So, Lauren and I are scratching our heads because, you know, we're not really UTV guys, we're motorbike builders and ATV guys. So we get some shocks, we put a generator on there, we do some other stuff, Randy gets a cage. You know, we do all the thing, we get the car done. Randy drives it three times, I drive it in the magazine on 26. So I call Randy up, we're gonna go on this birthday thing for Lauren down in the dunes. Well, Valeria, uh, who does a lot of, you met Paula, her older sister. Um, Valeria does all this stuff with uh, editing all these. She doesn't ride ATV. She doesn't drive UTV. She's nothing. She has no idea. Never been. So we take her down to the desert. The only instruction I get when he gives me the car is don't roll my car. Uh-oh. So what do you think? <laughs> the first thing I do go out and do Valeria's first ride and say, you roll it. I roll the car. <laughs> so we get it. It didn't hurt it. Support. didn't even scratch the paint on the roof. How lucky can you get? Oh, you did it right. Yeah. <laughs> if, there is a, if there is a doing it right, you did it right. Yeah, it scared her. She wouldn't ride with me the rest of the weekend. She ended up riding with Brian Fuller, but still she had a blast. Yeah. That's just a little sidebar. Um, you know, you've known so Randy for- enormous. So when I was racing um, a South Bay Speedway, I would run 125, 250, and 500 Pro. I had that Ben Oliver replica with the TT600 motor in it. Think of like a piston, like <laughs> that big. And <clears throat> the guy named Ed Ellis, who worked down in National City, Kawasaki, he owned that bike and let me ride in the 500 class. But I was, I was 14 and 15 years old. And so I could make decent money because I was racing pro. All of it. Well, I, was, I wasn't 16 yet. And so no, let me back up. But the first time I did an 80 pro race, I got money, I got like $150. And so when I got home, I, or I got back to Chuck, I'm like, this is my money, you know what I mean? So, so I, I, that's what I thought. I want it, it's my money. I don't think about how much money my parents spent and the gas <laughs> and the food and the buying the motorcycles and the entries. And I won the race. So the next day, I was in summer, summertime, and my mom, let's, we're going to the beach. And so she takes me to the beach. I buy a boogie board. I piss away the whole 150 bucks. Boogie board, a skateboard, a towel. Dude, I just like, how much money I'll get those shorts too. I, I, I piss it all away. I get home and I'm proud of all my stuff. And my dad's looking at me. And once again, I'm, I think I was 12 years old at the time. And he says, uh, Wow, you're a lot of shit. Guaranteed. <laughs> I go, yeah. And he says, All right, here's the deal. You know, if we, the first thing he said, I thought, Are you shitting me? He goes, I'm not going to ask for any of your money. And I thought to myself, Why would you? And he goes, and your mom and I will pay for the entries and do the mechanics and buy the tires and the fuel. He's like laying down a list of all the stuff that would cost you the race, the entries and everything like that. He goes, but I'll tell you one thing: when you want to, when you turn sixteen, you want a car. I'm not putting in the cents. So with all the money, you can keep all the money. I'm like, Oof. so if you want to drive a piece of shit, you know, 
So keep spending your money. The, so the, the, the Randy Norman tie-in comes into this. So I start wrapping with money from from Saturday Saddleback, Wednesday night. And I'm running as many classes as I can because I'm just tight wad. I want to make as much money as I can. Wrap <laughs> all the money, put it away, put it away, put it away, put it away. And <clears throat> so I'm driving by, uh, used to be Terry Allen Dawson, right, right, right by Valley Hunt. And they had a small Dawson pickup truck, tan, used. So we built there. I was, uh, I was 14 at the time. I didn't, I didn't even have a permit. And uh, so we go in there and talk about it and go to the bank and get, all, get the cash out. And, Buy my truck, so my, my dad lets me drive it from there all the way down Washington to the house. Now, the reason I tell you that so that truck sat in my in my thing, and I went and made more money and I bought wheels for it. I got the first set of inky wheels and built on tire, so I have a lift kit on it, I have tires. Now, all of a sudden, they're having this jump contest down at down Speedwell 17. Every time you beat the record, you got like 20 to 50, 20 to 50 buck bonus. So I had the record, and so I'm racing against Randy Norman. He's running, I think, 500 Pro or 250 Pro, whatever. And <clears throat> so I'm away to race one weekend, and then uh, come back, and I was like, mm, Norman beat your record, you know? And so I'm like, really? So I was kind of shocked. And not that he wasn't fast, but I was a good jumper, you know? And you were just laying it flat. So just, just jump out. Just, How much pain were you on the twist? Let's see well, they built the jump up a little bigger, so that weekend he, he did it. So, so then I go, okay, next next Wednesday night, I, whew, I beat his race. So they always had the like cone there, but don't jump too far, just just enough to beat it, you know, so, so that you could always keep, going. keep, keep the money going. Yeah. So then what they said is at the end of the season, the last night, they were going to have a jump off, jump contest. Who could jump the furthest for a $600 pace setter car stereo? So I'm going, there's my stereo for my truck. <laughs> <laughs> you know, got the Pioneer deck, the, the tri-axles, you know, got the three speakers and the door on them. I'm like, I'm going I'm to that. But that, that's my stereo. So Randy goes out and <clears throat> he comes around because I qualified at the 250 and the 500. I didn't qualify at the 425. You just couldn't get the power clear. So I had two. I had two. So it was between me and him. He goes out and he crashes. And so I kind of went by default, but I still I want to beat the record. So I'm like, so what are the rules? Like, whoever jumps the furthest. And at South Bay Speedway, the, the last turn before the jump was was right at the finish line by the by the half mile over. So I went off the track, turned, came on, clicked it. Normally coming out in first gear, I'm already in third gear, hitting fourth gear right before I hit the jump. Poof! Oh. Launch it, went to stereo, and then so so then. Randy and I were competitors back in the day. And, but he's always, I got to give it to him. I love the GPR product, and this is not a solicited thing. Him and his dad, when I went down there and got one for a bike I was racing in Baja, his dad has never changed. Just the mad scientist in the back, and, and Randy's just this marketeer, you know, just go, 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 go. And But I never had one of them fail on me. I've never had... What I've got, my Scots have had a problem, my RTT ones came apart, all the different stuff, so I can always count on consistency with the GPM. Well, the, I've been at the beginning of their ATV uh, life, yeah. per se. Um, the motorcycle stuff has always been really good for him because Randy was a motorcycle yeah. guy and the dad was. So the evolution of, of that was pretty simple for him. Two years ago, maybe two and a half years ago, 
Randy and I had deep conversations about where we were going with, uh, not to get off track, but where, where, how could we make the ATV dampeners better? So they wanted to phase out this version one dampener that they've been using since conception, uh, which is 25, 26, 27 years old. And they brought us into the version five, which has a larger vein, doesn't have any flex in it, doesn't fail, and changed the link arm system, lightened up the base mounts, and changed the whole product. I mean, it went from good to great. Yeah, I mean, I think, I I know there's other dampener companies out there that make good product, don't, don't get me wrong. I believe that the, the new version of the, the V5 from GPR is hands down the best product. Well, we're gonna try on. So Randy, if you're listening to this, plan on me coming down to Tool Vista. <laughs> well, good stuff. Great friend, you know, great evolution in in that. Um, did you and Brock ever become better friends, or did it, did it always stay strained? No, we we were always there for each other, and and, and he was he was as gracious of uh, a friend, a mentor, because I and I give a lot of credit. I am a, who I am in large part because of Brock. You know, there was a lot. I mean, you know, we grew up around a lot of assholes, a lot of troublemakers, a lot of guys that wrestle with drugs and, and, and get in trouble and all that stuff. And it's really easy to fall down that down that path because yep. it's fun. You're out there with the tough guys and doing your thing and this and that. And then you realize how the shit gets old. But Brock wasn't that way. Brock was very dedicated. Just everything. Just did everything right. And so when he did that for me, I... I I appreciated it, but probably not as much as I should have at the time. But then when I went to Honda, you know, and he raced one more year on Yamaha, and I'll never forget, it was one of the first Golden State races, and it was this big hill at Sand Hill, they called it. And it was a big uphill. It was so steep. Like, it, it was hard to, to keep your speed going, like, third gear, because that was that, that kind of steepness. And... He got the whole shot, and I went by him. We started at the bottom of the hill, and as I went by him, and we get to the top, and, I, and I'm, I'm just motoring like, and right. my car, my bike's still, my Honda's still pulling. His is like starting to detonate. His is just ready, ready to the downshift. And as we get to the top, we kind of let off. And part of my friends folks on this is I'm coming to the corner of both bike shopping, and I hear him go, "Are you fucking kidding me? Like, like, like that thing is that fast?" Because he's pinned, and I'm just like, oh, just oh. right by him. And then, but but then he went to Europe, and he was on a KTM at the time. It wasn't working well. Then he had uh, injuries and this and that. But then when I got hurt and I was trying to come back, my wrist, Brock was the first one to call me and take me running and cycling and, and, and help me get on the, the physicals, try to get my physical health. And I was in the best shape of my life because of Brock being there to, to come, come on, let's go. We're going riding. And he hung out, we did bicycle races and hung out with plates and all that shit. And he was living in Delmar and I was living up in uh, Encinitas. So we're, 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 we're great friends. I mean, to be honest with you, I, I don't have a competitor that I race against that I'm not, I wouldn't jump, you know, I wouldn't jump out of fist fight for. Including Ron Machine, to Jeff Ward. I mean, you look back at the people that really got you going, you made you mad or wanted Say you want to kill them, or you want to beat them up, or you want to beat them so bad. That that's a form of love. <laughs> you know what I mean? Because they Batman can't be Batman without the Joker. 
Right. You know, sometimes you think you always want to think you were Batman. Sometimes you're the Joker. They're Batman <laughs> back and forth. So everybody that I race against, that I, I mean, I punched the shoot in the face after a race and stuff like that. But, you know, I talked to him the other day when his, when his dad was dying. And I talked to him, you know, right after he got hurt. And so we're still, we're, we're all tight. And, and right now, Brock and I are uh, very tight. With, with the Brock coming to your aid when you were in need after you were injured, um, did you feel that it was because he knew where you were mentally and physically because he'd already been there? Yes, and it goes back to he was like my big brother. And he saw how, how I was struggling. You know? and so I had to try to make up for lost ground because of my wrist, I couldn't do, couldn't ride the way I normally rode. I was a very physical rider, yeah. jumped further than the next guy, tried to come in deeper into the corners, I rode hard. And I couldn't do that anymore. And he knew that, well, he could help me be the absolute impeccable shape physically, so why not do it? And I didn't ask, he just he'd be offered. And that's, that's incredible. Yeah. I, I know very little about Brock because he was so farther yeah. uh, uh, advanced in age, you know, not not that far, but right. the the circle for me just never got there. Um, did you guys have long talks about changing your style and working on techniques to, to possibly make it so that you could ride with your wrist the way that it was? No, it was just let's just go out and be the best that you can be. Let's take take whatever you're dealing with, and that was my, my wrist was starting to fuse itself and bone to bone and a lot of bad shit. Um, let's not dwell on that. Let's make you as strong an animal as you can be off the bike as well as on the bike. And so he, he, he didn't offer any tech as far as techniques. I was trying to shit. I was talking about blowing the throttle on the left side and all kinds of crazy shit, but it didn't, it never, it never came to. I just had to put a race. Did you um, have better success in outdoor with your armor? Or was the Supercross the, the, the uh, final after, straw? Yeah, after I got hurt, um, I never won a Supercross again. Um, I won I won the National the, the year later, and then I won a 500. The, my last uh, 500 National, I won. I went 2-1 to Stanton, won. And then the, the one race that gave back, I won one. But with the bigger, if it was softer, like sandier because you drew a little off the back and it wasn't so hard on you. But like Supercross, especially in SoCal, the hard pack dirt and the, the square edges. Yeah, just, I, um, I was wow, that's crazy. So you brought up Ronnie Lachine. Yep. We do know about some of the antics and some of the things and some of the stories where you and him clashed. Mm -hmm. um, was it really that heated of a rivalry? Oh, it was terrible. So Ronnie was my younger teammate at Yamaha. So Brock's and mine was Mike Bell, Brock, myself, and Ronnie. So Ronnie was too young, so I would you'd always travel with me because I get to ride in cars and do the stuff. We'd go chase girls together and do all the other things. The break, <laughs> maybe it's a girl. The break was that I was down at my girlfriend's house and I was going to write her a note because she wasn't there. I opened up this cabin and I see this list of girls in cities, and I'm like, it's my list, but not, I never wrote a list, but this, that's, they're talking about me, I'm like, 
go on the news was wrong. So I was gonna rip his ass apart. <laughs> and so we didn't get to we didn't get to fight on, on that occasion. But then Ronnie was a very aggressive and dirty writer. He was unbelievably talented. I mean, just one of the smoothest riders to ever exist, but he, he didn't put the time in, in training. So the last couple laps typically were not his strongest. But he would he would dog you. Then he would try to take you out, you know, or take you out if he could, and worry about the consequences later. And, and then, then he would beat you. So we were really chippy on each other, hitting each other and going back and forth um, <clears throat> until we were at Sunrise Cycle Park. And it was uh Golden State race was muddy. He was in the front. I caught him. By the time I got there, the, the water, the sand, everything killed my brakes. So my brakes weren't working. It was just kind of slowing down, but it wasn't stopping. Coming to the last corner, he looks back and he brake checks me, and I almost blow my knee up because I can't stop. And I hit his back wheel and go down. And it was like the straw that broke the camel's back. I rolled up beside him, yelling at him. He looked more like, what? So I smacked him in the face, got his lip open, and then police came. And <laughs> I didn't get arrested, but we had a couple more words. And but that was the last time we were physical, like swinging at each other, you know. But we tried to kill each other on the bike a lot. Wow, a lot. Did you ever have any uh, altercations or run-ins with Ward? Yeah, yeah, we hit each other a couple times, but typically we race clean with him. Jeff, Jeff was just strong, you know. Like I took him out. There's one kind of famous one of me taking him out at. Uh, the Pontiac, I was out in front, fell down, he passed me, and I caught him, fell down again, caught him, fell down again. I'm, I'm anaerobic, I'm just I'm blowing bubbles, I'm so freaking tired, I've been racing my ass off. Came around, <clears throat> and so it was a right-hand corner, went on the outside, he kind of comes in as we're going through the thing, I'm like, oh, I got the position, because I'm going to turn left and go under a tunnel, and he jumps, and he kind of buzzes my elbow with his tire. I'm like, okay, that's not that. That was all I needed. <laughs> I needed any excuse to take him out because I didn't want to fight anymore. I was so tired. So I just let off a little bit, let him come in, come in the corner, and I just pinched him off and knocked him over, knocked him over the mail. I thought for sure we were going to fight on the podium, but that's not Warrior's style. You know, he looked at him more like, why did I Why did I think I was going to go around the outside? You know, like, I should have known better. Right. And so... We had, I, we had nothing, we still have nothing but respect for each other. We got to race trucks against each other and all this stuff. So, uh, like I said, uh, he was, he was my Batman and her, I was, he was my joke or whatever you want to say it, but right. I, he was, he was the yank to my gang and our styles were like that, that same way. So sometimes he beat me, sometimes I beat him. With the rivalries throughout the years with the different riders and you still respect and talk to them. Yeah, everyone. And everyone, and just because that's the thing is that and Danny Stormark who landed on, you know, it was an accident. We didn't talk for, we didn't talk for years. In fact, we never talked from that point. Danny was my friend. It was a situation. I scrubbed the jump, stayed low. He went high, and was over on his lane, and his front wheel hit my back, my arm, broke my hand, all of stuff, and I took my goggles off. I, I was hitting him in the face and screaming at him and stuff like that because my hands deformed and I'm pissed off or whatever. But we never talked from that point on. He never called to say, hey, I'm sorry. Even if he said, it's your fault, I'm sorry that you got hurt by us. So our friendship ended. And a lot of people threw a lot of shit at Danny and thought, you ruined your career. He was there. He didn't. Could have been anybody. He, he, yeah, he didn't aim for me. He wasn't trying to take me out. He just 
two, two people collided in the air and I got screwed. And so I'm right, right across the country taking my dad's ashes to Daytona. I'm getting ready to roll to, to uh, San Antonio. I'm talking to one of my friends. I got my son on Bluetooth and I'm on a little Wayne cruising. I say, yeah, I'm about rolling to San Antonio. He says, why don't you stop and smash Stormack in the face? I'm like, you know what? You need to stop that shit. Literally, like, don't say that. You know, I don't feel any animosity. So I called Ali Seymour, who's really good friends with Danny. I said, Danny, give me Danny's number. So I'm driving through San Antonio on a motorcycle. I call Danny and give him a message. Hey, Danny, it's Ricky Johnson. Just want to chat with you. Paul. So I, I get to Houston, smoke tired, been raining all day, driving 14 hours on the bike, and I'm eating phone rings. So I say, man, it's like typical day. Redneck. <clears throat> he would have been perfect for Lakeside. You know what I mean? Tough guy and shit. So he's like, you know, Danny, I'm like, hey, Danny, it's Rick. Yeah. I said, like, you know what? I said, I, I just want to call, let you know, I'm driving cross country, take my dad's ashes to Daytona, this and that. Said, I don't have any animosity towards you. I don't have hard feelings. Like, well, neither do I. I said, for what? Why would you have hard feelings towards me? For slowing you down a second and a when you landed on me? <laughs> what the fuck? And uh, so we kind of laughed at that for a second. I just said, you know what? So we, we talked about everything. And even my wife said to me, said, do you, do you realize you're like everybody's sweetheart? What it was like for him being the guy that, that, that worked in your career. Right. And and so then his, so we, we, we talked a lot. And I just said, yeah, bygones are bygones. And I just, I wish nothing but the best for you in that. So his dad, Bubba, sort of back, um, was doing okay. And then like six months later, Called me first thing in the morning, said my dad died. You know, it's pretty touching to have a guy who we've kind of hated each other for, you know, down there a quarter of a century, right. over 30 years. And then he was, he called and shared that with me. That You're the first guy. Yeah, one, one of the first people that he called. So then, so then he, he called me. So we did a FaceTime. We had a shot of Jack Daniels for his dad when he passed and stuff like that. So, yeah, to answer your question is a long answer to your short question, but I don't hold any animosity towards anybody for their racing needs. Because when you're racing, it's a competitive business. Yeah. You know, I, I, if you beat me, you're taking my money. If I beat you, I'm taking your money. It's, you know. Right. So it, it just, so you, your, your ego and all that shit gets fired up. That's one of the things that I have to, when I talk to the young, soon to be pros or the young pros. And I tell them, this is money. We're not racing for a trophy. This is money. That that older guy that just knocked you into next week, he knocked you into next week because he's feeding his children with the money he made on track and the sponsors. So the game just changed. You have to decide where you want to be in this equation. Yeah. You know, are you going to be in the guy in the back that gets knocked off the track, or are you going to be the guy that's feeding your family with this money? And that and for me, I was lucky because. I started that game early, you know. And my dad was, I come in and be pissed off because some big dude knocked down the track. You know, I was racing, I was one three five hundred meter or something. I was twelve, and I'm like, it's like what's the matter? I'm like, if I was big, I would beat the shit out of that guy. He's like, well, then what are you gonna do about it? I'm like, I can't do anything about it. He's a grown man. I'm twelve. You know, what are we gonna do? He's like, well, then you better take care of it on the track. So I'm like, okay. The, the lessons go faster, so you're not there to be bothering you. Exactly. Right, right. That, that's awesome. When you transferred from being 
everyone's sweetheart, as your wife yeah. calls it, which, you know, you'll have to take it from our side because we didn't talk. We didn't yeah. get to be a part of those things. We got to see it from a distance like a lot of people. Um, yeah, we were pissed. Did I ever know who what that was? No, I never knew. Yeah. I was still pissed. But I was pissed for a different reason. I was pissed because you couldn't go out to the racing right. at that level. Not because of that individual. Yeah, just it was, it was what it was. Right. When you go from the limelight to the realization that it's that, that your motorcycle career is over, basically, how did how did you deal with that? How did you cope with it emotionally? Um, did you have a support system to help you? No, I didn't. Um, it got really dark and really scary and sad, and I I, I despised the motorcycle industry. I think I had a I had a hard on for them, like, fuck you, you treat me like this. It's like, when you're winning, everybody's your friend. Mm-hmm. You know, this is like you. It's like you build bikes, do this, you have one, one thing blow up, you're an asshole. Like, wait a minute. The same guy I was yeah, last week when you won. Yeah. <laughs> no, that is amazing how people turn on you or just watch your out. Yep. And so I went from back when we had action machines. 90 minute cassettes, so 45 minutes. I have to put it there because the regular one was too short. Because I go away on the weekend, didn't have cell phones in my head, and would call and you know, you leave a message. But I had to have a 45 minutes of, of hey, call me, I'm, hey, da da da, but people call him. To where when I got hurt and I wasn't, and I didn't come back, no calls. I'm like, son, is this thing broken? Couldn't do anything for him. Exactly. So, so, so you, I learned, I learned that. The people that the people that matter are there for you when you lose. People that don't matter are there for you when you win. I mean, those are the, the people you love are there as well, but they typically take a back seat to all the schlocks that are that are coming around and are on, on, on the party train. So for me, it was very very depressing, and that's why I just said I'm I'm bailing out of this. I'm going full steam in the trucks. That's why I went to Chevrolet and I said I want to be a stadium truck racer. I want to be the next Ivan Stewart. You know, another lakeside uh, hero and <clears throat> that's what I want to do and so I put my, my, my heart and soul into that it was going good then Chevy pulled out and so things happened you know what I mean the, did I have the career that I wanted no did I have the career that I wanted and needed absolutely let me ask you some personal questions we we haven't brought her up other than your wife yeah um, where did she come into the equation so so I've asked stuff. Uh, First time I met her was at Harvest Ranch, the grocery store in Oklahoma, Hamishaw, where I would go get sandwiches. And I saw her, I'm like, oh, she's a cute girl. But she was dating somebody at the time, so I didn't go back there. And then about three months later, I'm down at the river, down at Lake Martinez, and I pull my boat out, and I see this guy with this cute little blonde girl. I said, I hopped in the van, so I thought he was with, with this girl. And so then he introduced me, and I go, oh, I know you dated so-and-so. She goes, no, we talked about three months ago. So then we became friends. We started dating, and that was in 1988. And then um, we got married in 90. And we had three beautiful kids that are thriving and off doing what they're doing. And our oldest is building race cars with the fab school, and he's driver, fabricator, mechanic, just does everything. Middle son Jake played lacrosse all through high school, went to college, CSU, won a championship ring. He's a construction manager, and our daughter. Um, she did everything from barrel racing horses to 
um, riding motorcycles and stuff like that. But a good track in high school, but she got a degree in uh, interior design, then started doing marketing, was working at Red Bull for a while, and then Larry Superfood, the coffee cream company, and now she's just kind of have a summer off being a cowgirl up in Oregon. <laughs> so, nice. So, so like, like I said, you look at a lot of the shit that you think was bad, it was just the, it was the change in the road. Because anytime you change direction, it's painful. I, I use the analogy, it's like a train. Train's going down the track, everything's going great, perfect. Well, to change direction, you got to take all that energy and slow it down and stop all that, all that weight, you know, all the pressure and the heat on the track. Then you get there, then you gotta turn the big view. Then you gotta start the power up again, you know what I mean? And that's what happens in your life. Shit goes bad, and so it's like, oh, it's so painful, and this and that. And also, you realize that's the best thing for me. Like, if some bad chick dumps shit, breaks your heart at the moment, you're like, you're right. out of life, like, whew. Like, I got it out, rid of her. <laughs> exactly. So, she was there when you were famous. Mm-hmm. Did she know that you were a motocross racer when she met you? Um, not really. She didn't. She was. She went to Grossmont High School, and she didn't know. I mean, she knew kind of that I raced, but that wasn't her thing. You know, she was never. She wasn't like a pitchers or anything like that. How did it go when she really found out who you were? It was. Well, she freaked her out the first time she came over because I I bought my parents' house up in Vista Grande. I had a gate up there because you, you know, just, I don't know, uh, she got a gate. <laughs> so she came over and I had a bunch of cars at the time. You know, I had a couple of trucks that I had one ride the year trucks and then I had a van and I had a, a, a Mercedes at the time, just stupid buying cars. And uh, she got there and I said, grab some party of solder or whatever, come over and we'll get the movies and, and we'll da da. And, uh, she pulls up the thing. She's like, "It's at a party. Who are all these people?" And she walks in. She's like, "You didn't tell me there's a bunch of people coming." She's like, "What do you mean?" She goes, "All the cars." I go, "Those are mine." She's like, "There's no other people shooting me." I'm like, "Yeah." So she's like, "Oh shit!" <laughs> <laughs> what am I getting into? What am I getting into? This asshole spends more money on cars than he needs to. But uh, yeah, but. She wasn't affected by it because I didn't want her. I didn't want her. Like, if you look, she would come to the race. I would say, come to the race, let me know you're there. You have your tickets and your passes and everything. You go up to the, the box, you watch the race. After the race is over, come down and then we'll drive home together. We'd be San Diego and I'm typically giving fire to all my races and stuff because I'm there to work, you know? Right. And so, so I didn't need her at my truck when I'm talking to my mechanics and to my engineers. No, I don't need that. You know, you know, I have to be polite to her because if I don't, I'm going to be an asshole when I get home. So best if she just goes, has her, her parents and my parents, whatever she's saying, yeah, well, you can watch the race, you can enjoy the race, let me do my work, and after we're done, we'll do that. And she was, she, that's the great thing. She understood, even though she was 17, we started dating. I could always say, but this is what I do, and this is how I do it. It's uncomfortable, but she understood. And her mom, her mom and dad supported her and said, "No, you got to give him the space to do what he's got to do." Because I think I think there's too many of these young racers, the women, are way too involved in their, in their business. Right. Like I don't, I'm gonna fist fight you for cutting me off. I don't want to talk to your mom or 
your girlfriend, your wife. It's just you and me. Right. You hit me, I hit you. This is us. And it's done. I don't need your mom telling me that I'm an asshole. Right. <laughs> you know? I can already tell by the look on her face that she thinks that. So Yeah, she's telling it all. But So with Steph, I was very, very blessed that she gave me my space, and she still does. She doesn't like Mexico, but I go race ball, and that's my thing. I'm like, I'm not going to change it. I, I, need, I need this for me. She's like, go. Go do it. As you know, you, you, know, you, have, you had a woman that supported you through thick and thin. Yeah. Whatever. If, if I if, if it wasn't to her liking, I knew. Yeah. <laughs> but, but she still... But she still... Good or bad, she would was behind me 100%. Any venture that I went into, yeah, uh, she was. She tried to encourage me when I just quit racing. Right. Uh, I always joked that the little pet guys at home wanted to eat, and she was afraid I'd miss miss a paycheck. So, because I was just racing for her. The sport, no money. Right. Yeah. It's, yeah, I, I, I've had my wife and I got married in 18. Uh, and total direction of life change for myself. Um, back on the positive streak. Uh, finding Terry in my life. You know, it took 49 years to find this amazing woman. And... Um, allowed me to see where I wasn't going in the directions that I needed to go uh, and make choices. Like you said, I needed to make some choices about working at the races and going to the races and, and the value of your knowledge and other people not respecting that is a huge problem in, in all forms, whether it be business, you know, mowing grass to building indie cars there's a huge deficit of, of disrespect for value and knowledge. Yeah. But um, so I'm pretty blessed that, that, that I found a woman that just so that you know, the backstory behind the podcast is I'm such a huge fan of motorsports and we're going to get into a little bit of that here. In a minute. Um, ATV talk comes from, a place because nobody is ever telling the story. You can't hear stories about Dean Sundahl. You can't hear stories about Jimmy White and Roy Hart. You can't, uh, Mike Coe. You don't get to hear some of the stories from uh, Justin Jones and, and his experience with his dad, Gary Jones. Yeah. You know, you, do, you don't get to hear these things. Uh, and, and, and there's some other podcasts out that may cover certain things. But I never wanted to have a scripted deal where I was coming in like we're doing a TV show and, and you have your lines, I have mine, and, and we, we blow smoke up each other's butt and, and move on. I want to know how you feel about these certain things because being a fan, I'm not asking you questions because it's, a, it's written on a piece of paper. I'm asking you because I'm a true fan right, you want to know. and I want to know. And I know that the people listening want to know. Right. Just because of the growth that we're having and the responses that we're having um, from it, it, it's huge. And so if you're listening, thank you so much. Um, that being said, we've talked a, a lot about your career, got into some of the areas where we went. How much 
do you follow other forms of motorsports, not just trucks, but like, do you follow Supercross really deep now or the outdoor stuff? I follow it, but I, I don't have Mav TV on where I'm at, so I have to watch on YouTube after the fact and, and I watch the social media and stuff like that. But I don't, I'm probably not the best fan. Like, I'm a fan, I appreciate. Like, I appreciate what the guys are doing in Iron and all that. That, that racing series, I think, is the, the top of the top. How fast those guys are racing, how hard, how aggressive, how good the cars are and everything. I think that is the, that to me is the most premier racing, even over F1. Just because the cars are looser, they're sliding more, they're, they're, they're more old school. Um, NASCAR is going to a really weird stage that I just, I don't dig this. They're, 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 they're trying too hard to make a show. You know, they're, they're kind of killing the race to me. You know, I think the, the cars, once again, the car needs to slide to be exciting. So there's a plaster to the ground, the guys are going wide open and you're right. trying to play the wing game. I don't like that. I like, I like watching Bill Elliott go 200 some miles an hour on bias by tires slide around the Daytona. No. You know, that that to me is like when a guy's catching, driving it just past 101% and then coming back 101%. You got to drive ninety nine point nine 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 percent, or you crash. I don't. I don't like that. You know, um, Supercross and motocross. I watch it, um, respect it. I think there's a situation that they need to change it. Time for something new. And I think they should do a competition yellow like they did in trucks. Stop and gather them back up. Bunch them back up and then start. Bunch them back up and not, 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 don't put a whole shot again. You space everybody out. Yep. So, whatever position you're in. So, say, let's say you're Tomac, you crash, you work your way up to, to fourth place. But that guy is over half the track. You're never going to catch him. But if you're strong and they restart the race and you're in fourth place, now you can go boom and catch that guy. Right. And then it's going to be more racing, more exciting. But they're like, oh, it's traditional. It's, who gives a shit? People are leaving. We're, we're entertainers. Right, make it exciting. And Jim Baldwin, that he goes, I don't give a shit what anybody thinks. I'm throwing a yellow flag because I'm paying for this racing. I want to see you guys knock the shit out of each other. I want to see a good race. Right, and I hated it at first because you get a big lead and they take away from you. But I learned a lot of it. It's like, okay, let's, let's do this. Especially if you're not in the lead. Yeah, exactly, you're not in the lead. You're like, okay, I'm hanging back, save my tires a little bit. But then you got you got one point for leading at that halfway point. So that it is important to lead that too. So, anyways. I just think we need to evolve those sports a little bit. Um, and but, I, but to sit and watch racing a whole day, I fall asleep. I, we call it, I call it my NASCAR nap. I do it for IndyCar. It doesn't matter. I hear the motors and that's our story. You watch uh, MotoGP at all? A little bit, not as much as I should. I just don't have the time. Right. I don't constantly move and doing something. Or like, you know, the weekend I work at work in the yard. Yesterday I was out there all day. I've got moving rocks and stacking rocks and doing this and doing that. Just, I like, I'd rather keep working. I, I don't sit down very well. So the heat of the studio is not a problem for you. Yeah, it, that's a little hot. I'm sweating. <laughs> okay. Sorry about that. Um, did you watch F1 last year on the finals? No, I did not. And then I also, I haven't even dug into the drive to survive. Because then that's, that's, re, that's rejuvenating because of, these guys are open book. I mean, they're pissed off about this guy, the arguments and the hiring and firing of the teams. So that has really given a personal side to the F1. And they've done a really good job at 
creating not not, not even people that I like you or I like him or I hate him and I like you know whatever the case right. may be. It gets when it, when it gets polarizing and someone takes in enough energy to Instagram something, tweet something, or whatever that you get them to pick a side, you're winning. Right. Yeah, that's true. So so they they've done that, but yeah, I didn't get a chance to watch the race. I was just wondering because Dad and I are F1 fans and we're MotoGP fans, and we watch a lot of these races. Yeah, if you need to stand up. Yeah. Um, at the end of the last year in Abu Dhabi, there was a big controversy for that championship. I just wanted to get your take, being a competitor, yeah. having an official change the outcome of a race. Yeah, that, that can't be. That can't be. That, that, that could be a big dollar fine. Or, but just to have somebody go, eh, judgment call. Change the, change the rules. Yeah, change everything. Yeah. I mean, it's written the rule and he changed it. Yeah. Verbally. Yeah, but Bernie Eppenstone and F1 has a way of, there's a dictator there. <laughs> yeah, I, I, we, we believe that they didn't want Hamilton to win, and that's why they picked Bernie Yeah. Uh, I, will I ever be a Max for strapping for him? Oh, maybe not. Yeah. I mean, I just, maybe he's a talented guy, driver. Maybe he's a great guy. I don't know. Hey, maybe if you go have beers with him, might change your mind. But until then. Yeah, but as, <laughs> as, a, as a fan watching it, God, it's just a great game. All right, see that? They've got you engaged. Yeah, but I'm not going to engage in <laughs> you know the Instagram and stuff. I'm not that kind of fan. Yeah, I, I'm a, I'm a Mark Marquez fan. I think as far as a uh, MotoGP guy, you can't take anything away from Valentino Rossi. That guy is historically yeah. phenomenal. But Mark Marquez is probably the greatest motorcycle rider in that style I've ever seen. Oh no, he's phenomenal. He's tiny. Yeah, just, but just a savage. Well, when you can freaking at, at 100 and some miles an hour, and you're going, you're down, you're it's over, and you put your elbow down, and the bike pops back up and catches traction and goes. I've never seen any of those other guys do that. I see Rossi do it. I saw a picture, I'm like, oh, look, he's crashed. And they show the next, like the next sequence. He goes, he's like here, you know, turns into it, he brings it back up. Oh, that's well, yeah. And I'm like, he, the guy never makes a mistake. Like, finally, he's making a mistake. Really bad. Yeah. Right. He still wins the race. Yeah. So I was just trying to get your take on some of the uh, different sports to see w- where you fell on. Yeah. Like I said, I'm not a good fan. I, if I know somebody, like a skin of the game, like when I was watching my son play lacrosse, mm-hmm. I was riveted. When uh, Luke was racing short course, I was riveted. Watched every bit of it. Was on the phone with him, making adjust, adjustments to the chassis, to converter to whatever the case would be to if I have to be engaged with it. If I if I'm not you made a comment about in our in the early portions of our conversations about Hondas dropping off some of their intensity. You were at the first two rounds of outdoor? First one. Just first one. Just the first one. Do you see a Resurgent in that intensity. Yes, I do. I, I think I think it goes back to their their leader. That's now Bill Savino, who's done who's done a bunch of stuff. He's kind of he's making he's calling the shots. He's he's the big boss. And I don't know what his official title is, his VP or whatever, but but Bill's the guy. And I can see that he's bringing back that intensity, that that will to win. And I also think it's a huge kicking the ass to have the whole Lawrence family 
not just Jed, but Hunter and their father, who who's, who doesn't get as much credit as he should. I've heard he's really sharp when it comes to the testing and some of the things that they're doing and stuff like that. And obviously, he's done a great job raising these, these two kids. I've never heard, you never hear much about the mom. Imagine she's obviously going to cut her out on this. Right. But I think the Lord's family has really revitalized Han. That is amazing because they those two boys are fine. Oh, they're savages. I mean, they're, they're I, I always I, I was up at Mammoth. I always got to see a little piece of them, but it looked like Hunter's given Hunter Jets competition. Yeah, now they're brothers. So, yeah, so they they both know what each other have, and so they don't want to be able to win. Exactly. Have you followed Ken Roxon's yes. saga much? Um. I, I, as a fan watching him, you gotta just you gotta just be so heartbroken when he has problems because he's been injured and and he's fought back over odds where he never should have came back. Yeah, but it's part I think part of it is his, his arrogance. You know, he's he's a very arrogant which he deserve he deserves some arrogance, but I'm just I'm not a huge fan. Um for one He's, he's getting slapped around too much. You've got to fight back. You know what I mean? How many times have you seen him take somebody out? Never. That's part of the game. I'm sorry. Being physical and, and, and rubbing on people and bumping people is part of the game. Now, taking their wheel out and, you know, like coming in, like Barsha and coming in and beating them at their, at their feeler moment or their, their tip mm-hmm. in the middle of a quarter, that's bullshit. That, that's you're trying to hurt somebody. Go, but... You got the physical, you got physical game is part of the part of the game. David Bailey and I run, you know, leaned on each other, didn't take each other out. We did not early on in my career when I was like, how long is the Honda? But when it comes to, to when we were both on Team Honda, we were at the shit out of each other. But we also gave each other a way out. See, there's a there's a trust amongst thieves. When I come in, if I if I work really hard, I get position on you. I'm gonna give you two options. One is let off. And get behind me, or I'm going to take you off the track. I give you enough time to make that decision. If you decide to hang on, this your. It's just like if I have a gun in your face and say, "Surrender, I'm going to shoot you in the face." When you make a move, I shoot you. I gave you an out. You just chose not to take it. Right. And so a lot of the writers now are just like they they, they don't think about somebody coming. Like for instance, Barsha, you know he's going to hit you. Break short and hit him on the exit. Do something different. Right. You know what I mean? But so with Roxon, to, to finish that thought with Ken, Kenny, is that he keeps taking these beatings and he doesn't come back. He doesn't you know, go smack that guy. Go do this. You don't have to be a bully and take people out, but it's a fight fire with fire. Yeah, Anderson seems like he's that guy. Yeah, so yeah, he's a he's a gamer. He'll he'll go out with anybody in place any time. Now he needs to think of he needs to be another one of these to think about who he's racing with. Because he's been taken out because he's just a little overconfident. But but talent, with the moon I worked with him when he was a kid on 80s, heart and determination, you're not going to beat you. Uh, How about Saxton? I think he's the most talented guy on the bike right now. He reminds me of David Bailey. I don't, I don't think he's, uh, he's, I think he's lacking a little bit in his physical game and mental game. But as far as talent on a bike, that kid's beautiful. It's so super beautiful. fast, super fast, super smooth, just immaculate. He's 
what was their problem in Supercross? Was the bike not seem to work as good? I think the bike's too much of an eye fetch. So, like to, to explain your to dad is, it was uh, it's it's a motor that has its all top end. It doesn't, but I'm just saying, you have one way of riding it, and if you don't ride it that way, it's going to be it's not going to work. And I think the Honda is so twitchy and nervous that it, it creates insecurities with the riders. So you see them start to get arm pumped, you see them start to low side, you see them start to really do have different problems that the bike is just not comfortable. Like remember when I said we're talking about yeah. pro circuit and getting that pipe for that roll-on power yeah. so you make up that time. It's almost invisible time. You don't you don't it doesn't feel fast, but it's smooth. Right. And I think I think the Honda now they're starting to get a hold of that, doing different uh motor stays, different thicknesses, different metals and things like that to make them soft and more pliable and, and give a rider a wider berth to make a mistake and save it, not because you notice right. you can go from you see Sexton and you see uh, Roxon, really good, really good, really good. Boom, catastrophic, get off. Yep, yep. That's fine, and that's what I was thinking too. I, I didn't, I didn't know exactly how to, di- to diagnose it, but I could, I just knew something was wrong in the way that that thing was set up. Where where Tomac comes off of a Kawasaki that looked like it was a pretty good machine. But obviously not for him, and he gets on that Yamaha and it's a new guy. So I talked to John, uh, Eli's dad, at Paula about the success and everything how Eli's been doing. And he said when they were at Geico Honda, which you know, yeah, they said that they could do different stuff because it wasn't a factory team; it was a satellite team. So when they went to Kawasaki, like, hey, we want to try all this stuff, and Kawasaki's like, no, that's our factory bike; you ride it this way, and that's why he was never fucking up. That's why he just he wasn't he never felt that he got back to the speed that he had when he was at factory model. Right. Before he was a factory model. And so now you got Jeremy Coker, who's running the Star Yama team. Right. And they can do whatever they want. Because they just they have support from the factory, but the factory doesn't dictate what they do. Right. So he can try different things and make it happen. Maybe try a 450 motor and a 250 frame. Maybe try a two three whatever. I don't know exactly what they got in there, but they figured some shit out. And the bike's very comfortable. Fernandez was very fast on it. Obviously, Eli's fast on it. So they're able to make these changes. Christian's fast. Oh, Christian's unbelievably fast. You know, he's going on smarter, but really, he's going to switch. He's already signed with Husky. That was after before before the first round. Oh man, I was kind of hoping he would stay on Yamaha. Because he was having so much success. Oh, it's also kind of cool. He's with his second step on him. You know that, right? No, I didn't know. Jeremy Coker. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yep. yeah. So, anyhow, yeah, there. It, it's a double-edged sword. See, this goes back to what we were talking about with your dad. Your right. dad could help me to a certain point that all of a sudden the factory didn't want him battling in my shit. Right. They're like, well, we don't, this is our game. They never, they don't even mention, they just, Dis- yeah, you're, just you're, you're just not in the loop anymore. Yeah. That, that, that's crazy. And then Dungy comes out of retirement and he's running top five in points. I would have, uh, the biggest mistake of his life, but then I talked to him um, at the first round. We gave him a little backstory because I was announcing. And he said it was a, this was a strictly personal deal. Like he said, I needed it. He goes, because I went from being, this animal, since he was a little kid, racing every weekend, just like 
completed every weekend, every, every week, you know, and uh, <clears throat> to now I'm a stay at home dad. Did he just start a coffee company? Really? That doesn't quite get your motor running like does. So hey, him and his wife decided it was the best thing for him to be able to do. For him personally, he just needs to go race and, and have that motivation and drive. It's not good for a guy to be in his 20s or early 30s and retire from motocross and do nothing. Right. And that's that, and your kids see that and it's like, well, what does your dad do? He's rich. <laughs> you know? He makes money. Yeah, he just has money. And he, he golfs every now and then, rides his bicycle. But, but so I, I said, man, it's not good because when you walk away from racing, it's kind of like a girl. When you come back, she's not typically real happy that you're back. <laughs> you get a bit of bite. But he's, his, he's in great shape. He's he's racing hard. He's right, he's right there. You think he can come back and win a championship? No. Not, no. not the same guy. It's, yeah, it's it, it, that, that that's passing, but he's, you know, he's, he's a top fiver. Absolutely, he's he's a fourth and fifth place guy, and if something happens, he's a third place guy. But you you saw the distance between Sexton, Roxon, Christian, and that guy. Yeah, and he's getting better, but that's a big gap to make up. Right, and, and there's youth there. <laughs> when you're young, you just you just have it exactly. Uh, I got just a couple more things, and, and I know that you've been so gracious with your time. I and I, I really appreciate it, and I know Dad yeah. has been looking forward to this since since I came in and told him the day that I spoke to you, and you know, and I told him like, well, Dad, he doesn't want to do a Zoom call. Yeah. He wants to come here and see you, and he perks up like a little kid in the candy store. So, um, I know that embarrasses you, Dad, but it, it's true. That's um, for a long time. Your children. Did do they even have a clue about what what it was when you were racing motorcycles and and, and the, the level that you rode at? Yeah, yes and no, but I, I've just been a dad. Kids, kids look at you totally different things here. No, they. Well, I mean, I'm just they, saying is that they judge you on on. Well, what did you do for me? Exactly. Uh, you didn't want me. Hot dog yesterday, so you're an asshole. <laughs> <laughs> and I don't care if you won 15. Right. So the the kids are different. Luke um, loved it. Loved, loves the backstage pass. Loved it when I had to deal with Suzuki, bring home free bikes and all that different stuff. Jake, my middle son, despised any kind of celebrity. Like he didn't like, doesn't like people. He's a great creative character. People that come up and real phony and stuff like that. When he was a little guy, he'd look at him just like, yeah, like, like I don't like you. Like, you know, you're, you're, like he could tell you're here for the wrong reasons. My daughter's lies somewhere in the middle, you know, that she she enjoyed the races and stuff like that, and, and but she never, it's more of a nuisance to them. If we go to Anaheim or San Diego Supercross, I'm stopped by some junior wants to talk about 1986 again. Again and again in the 1986 again, I'm like, really? Yeah, I was there. Yeah, I know all about it. They, it's just like anything. You know, it's like Jimmy Johnson's kids don't realize this is just, 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 just a thing. Yeah. You're a good dad, you're a good dad. Right, right. I mean, we take it, Lauren and I have gotten to live in the same county that our father 
worked and grew a reputation. So we're meeting grandchildren or great grandchildren of the people that he worked on their stuff. And they're saying, Hey, my great grandfather had your dad or my dad or my dad's, you know, whatever. They're coming in and we're getting fourth and fifth generation coming and, and we're working on their stuff because of him. So, um, Famous is, is not a word that I would use uh, bigger than that. I don't even know what you would call it. Respect. Yeah, it's just, he gets embarrassed when we talk about it. Yeah, but, but that's just who he is. And as I said, he was always he was always the guy taking care of everybody. Yep. You know, and, and making sure all my shit was jetted and that it was right for me to tear a bike apart. You know, from Saturday's motor to Sunday, he was there and he got it done. Yeah. And that's and that's that's why you have second, third, and fourth generation coming back because of the integrity and the respect of that dad. Well, he did teach me. He says, "When you take that bike out of the truck, and you roll it out there for the bike, get better and better." Yep. And and all of the stuff that I always I'd like to pride myself on when I rolled it to the track, that I knew where I was going, I knew what conditions I was going to ride in. You know, I would check the weather, and, and it would be tuned, shock set, tire pressure set. So all that rider had to do was ask me, can I go? Right. I would go. Yep. See ya. I'm, I'll be here when you get back. <laughs> you know? And, and and they would go ride, and, and we had a lot of success that route. And, you know, every once in a while, you have something go haywire. It, it, it was a lot of fun. No, we, we, we've all led a blessed life. Oh, I couldn't think of anything else I'd rather do in my life. You know, Ricky, I want to thank you so much for taking the time. It meant the world for you to come and and, and be with me. Can we go get an air conditioner? <laughs> no, I just have to move it once. Yeah, his back starts to hurt. No, but honestly, then I'm, I'm I'm stoked that you called me, Dan. Dan, it's always great to see you. Thank you for everything you did for me and and so many. You know, I know you get embarrassed by it, but it was a pleasure. Thank you. I just wish I could have followed closer. Yeah. I wish I would. I remember, like, no, I remember the day when, when they said they didn't want you to do my stuff. Yeah. Yeah, I I totally agree. Yeah. You know, if I was in charge of, yeah, you know, rules are changing a little bit. Yeah. It happens. It happens. But uh, again, uh, I'll get you some information. Um, this will be our two-year anniversary show that we air um, on July 7th. So Do you have my birthday. Well, happy birthday. Thank you. Um, you're going to be uh, 29 all over again? Yeah, 29 one more time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's, it's amazing that the fans and the people that we know are going to really understand how far back we go okay. and some of the intricacies of, of the relationship. And, uh, so the beginning, for me, it's where, it's where I started. Right. It's your beginning. It's kind of all of our beginnings. And he's he's the start of all of it, you know, uh, Danny and uh, Valley Motorcycle Sales, which is Motor World of Alcohol now. And, yeah. And so many people don't even understand and, and realize that some of your modern day motocross was built in Oklahoma. Oh, you go back. 
I remember, we'll finish with this, that that core mile, right? You had KR, which was Gary, Jimmy Johnson's grandparents, owned that, right? They started in the back being a tour there, you know, right? Then you had Valley Honda, Danny Duncan, and you had Don Vesco. Yep. And then you had Torsten Hallman off road products, which was right on the hill. Well, you know, I worked for Edison Dive. Yeah. And uh, before he got all involved with, uh, with the uh, Huskies and, yep. and everything. But uh, yeah, at one time, Vesco's uh, group and Huskies at Valley would have little grudge races with the, with the demos. Yeah. And uh, on one week, this is before the overhead cam singles. And anyway, we had a push rod 90. We put a big piston in it so we could go down and beat their their demo. And they, uh, they did not their stand. boss, Vesco, wouldn't let them modify <laughs> the, the things. Anyway, we they, they sold this demo that we had hopped up not knowing. And the customer came in a few months later and, and wanted gaskets for it because uh, it leaked. And uh, and he's talking to Tommy, the Walters, the guy that owned the place, and you know, told him what model it was. And well, he hit the gasket, but mine's this big. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and Tommy come back in the back and wanted to know, what the hell did you guys do? You know, and hold oh, nothing. <laughs> Must have been blem or something. I don't know. Yeah, well, anyway, we finally fessed up and. Uh, and he says, now I'm going to have to find the customer and do silver. And he talks to the customer, no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to stock her. You know, I just want to ask if it fits. <laughs> then Tommy came back and told us, do not modify the, the demos. Yeah, this one's bone stock. All the packings out of the silencer. <laughs> yeah. well, wow. There's all kinds of things you could do, you know, get, gain a little power. Take the head gaskets off, get a little pressure. Oh, yeah. yeah. But uh, it was competition between the shops, you know, and then Vesco moved up the hill. Because yeah. there was a triumph guy where Vesco had been, I'm trying to think of the name, and he was an independent. Yeah. Took care of triumphs. Ironically, I went back there, it's open since 1963. I went to the, the Wrangler barbecue. Yeah. yeah, the other day. I haven't been, I used to go there when I was a little kid, like three years old and stuff. You know, the regular barbecue place? Yeah, we used to go there. Uh, my mother and me would go there for lunch. Yep. I just took my wife to close on Mondays, so and I probably went there probably today. But there, I went back there and I haven't been there in so long. I'm like, same thing. Just say like, nothing's changed. Stock our pictures on the left as you walk in, the, the cowboy wallpaper. And, Crazy shit. That's no, it, Oklahoma was a quiet little place for when I first moved to it. And then I fucking grew up. Yeah, not to say. <laughs> it got famous and then everything happened. 
Alrighty, we're going to head down to that. Talking about uh, the champions, there's the AMA uh, number one plate. You know, there's several of those from Oklahoma. Yeah. I mean, it's amazing how many different sports there's champions from Oklahoma. Mecca of, uh, there's something in the water here that made champions. Yeah, it's in the hills. <laughs> Thanks again, Ricky. You have a great one. Everybody, have a great time. Thank you. The team here at ATV Talk would love your feedback. Please email us at hello at ATVTalkPodcast.com. San Diego's Body Evolution and Wellness Center. With over 17 years experience, Dr. Heidi looking out after all your chiropractic needs and Coach PJ looking out after all your fitness needs. Visit our website, www.bodyevolution.org, or call for an appointment, 619-987-8875. Duncan Technologies International. More than 33 years in the industry building racing programs and ATVs around the world. We build winners. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed the episode. If you did, don't forget to rate us on all the available platforms and share us with your loved ones. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook for more ATV Talk News. See you next time.